Good morning, everyone. I was hoping to bring something that's edifying, that would build up the church this morning, but um, Joe's fancy dress has already edified us enough. I, I feel like we could all go home now. And I did take a photo of you as well, Sam, up there. So whoever oversees your church website, they can put that up there on the... I think, I think that would really uh, present an accurate picture of what kind of church this is. So... Uh, <laughs> But no, thank you guys, uh, Sam, for leading and Joe for um, just uh, sharing so well. So thank you very much. And it's great to be in such a, such a godly and just a, a fruitful church as the Hills Christian Family Centre. And it's just such a joy to see, even in the midst of a season of transition, uh, the quality and the stability, but also the faith. You know, and I often think those two, you know, stability sounds like a really boring word because it sounds like something that's fixed and never changes. But I always think of, um, you know, I've used the analogy of Ricky Ponting. You know, his defensive shot was so stable, but the beginning of the end was when he got bowled by a, a Yorker against South Africa. And I believe we've got some South Africans in the church, so... Um, we'll pray for you later. Um, but, uh, but, but, but he lost his footing and he became insta- unstable and he got clean bold and it was like the beginning of the end. And I always think if you've got stability, it gives you a platform for faith. It gives you a platform to take risks. It gives you a platform to actually say, God, on the, on the foundation of this church, on the foundation of the gospel, that we are going to step out and be the people that you've called us to be. So it's not about being safe, but it's about having a platform to step out. And I see this church as being a a godly, fruitful church, but the platform is there for wonderful faith and adventure in the future. And so it's great to be here this morning. My message this morning is entitled The Four, uh, Four Postures of Faith. And... I was made aware that today had a bit of an international theme and I thought, what are some scriptures that I can preach on that are going to kind of tie together the international theme and the the South African barbecue and I'm just, if I actually get distracted in the middle of my message, you'll know why. It's the the aroma of of, uh, beautiful barbecue coming through, wafting through the doors. Um, So if I go to my happy place and just zone out for a moment, you'll know where I go. But I I was thinking, reflecting on two passages that I've lived in for a lot and I've reflected on a lot. And they're two iconic passages that deal with God um, and the nations, God and bringing people together. And I actually felt like it was not just a word for you individually, but it might be helpful for you individually. But I, I really pray that these, these passages that I'm going to share are going to be helpful for us as a church, for you as a church. Because I, I, I think sometimes we can forget the corporate aspect of the New Testament, particularly that it was designed, the letters were designed to be read and engaged with and um, approached and interpreted in the context of church family. And so I trust that this message is not just a nice message for you, but it's an encouraging message for us. Is that okay with everyone? Fantastic. So I'm going to just tell you a problem because often when I preach, I start with a problem because I, I am always grappling with the substance of my faith 
um, and whether the, the substance of my faith and the reality of my faith or the image of my faith line up. Because how many people know that there's people out there that say they're Christians and there's some things that you read in the Bible and you say, I agree with it, I believe in it. But deep down, you know that there is not an alignment between the expectation of what Christian faith should look like and what your lived reality is. And so there's a gap. And I love to just, I try to not ignore the gap. Because it's really easy to ignore the gap between the ideal of Christian faith and the lived reality of Christian faith. It's really easy in a marriage to just ignore the gap between being the married man you want to be and actually living out what it means to be a godly man in the context of your family. And gaps emerge. And what we tend to do is we tend to ignore the gap and we tend to assume that we're better than what we are. And every now and again, I feel like God would just say to me, Tim, let's just acknowledge what is that there's some things in your life that aren't lining up. And I think as a church, sometimes there can be a gap between what we read about, what we preach, what we think the ideal of church is, and then what our lived experience as the people of God in community is. And so the problem is this, that for much of my life and much of our Christian lives, many of us who have been around church have been told that faith in Christ will change everything. If you have faith in Christ, it's going to change you from the inside out. It's going to turn your world upside down and everything will change and will have ramifications for your relationships. It will have ramifications for your finances. It will have ramifications for your fear of death. It will have ramifications for your hope for the future. It will change everything. But here's the problem. Faith in Christ doesn't change everything. Am I allowed to say that? Because last time I checked, there's a lot of things in my life that I still struggle with, that I struggled with before Christ. And there's a lot of problems in my life that are even worse than some of my friends that don't know Jesus. And so that there's a gap and I have to acknowledge what that gap is. And I have to be realistic and honest and try to grapple with what does it mean? for us as a community to say that we have the gospel of life. We have the hope of that, that Jesus was resurrected and we will be resurrected. And so it should filter through everything we say and do. But there's a gap. You know, the early Christians, they had a reputation in Acts 17.6. Uh, someone said, these men have turned the world upside down. Wouldn't it be great? If this church had a reputation, oh, I don't know about those hills, Christian Family Centre folk, they're turning the neighbourhood upside down. I mean, and that was the early church's reputation. I look at my life and I think, mate, what have I turned upside down lately? Well, I dropped my computer this morning and I, you know, I, I tried to get the cake out of the fridge. And I mean, what have I actually turned upside down? What has my life done to have a ripple effect in my family, a ripple effect in my community whereby people say, wow, surely something has happened and, and it's having societal and cultural influences. So do you know what I do, think we do with this problem? We drift towards having very low expectations of our faith, very, the tyranny of low expectations. So we say, okay, God, I'm just going to not expect much from you so I don't get disappointed. Or we have this hyper real prosperity understanding of God and it's all going to be amazing and everything's going to change. And it's just, I'm going to be like, you know, just, just like the disciples, but I'm going to be better. 
And I mean, Mary in the Bible, I'm just going to be the dedicated disciple. I'm going to be there with Jesus every step of the way. And we set this really high bar and we fail. So um, this message is dealing with four postures of faith and how we might grapple with the gap between our lived faith and the faith that we would like to live out. And the first passage is from Genesis chapter 11, a very ancient passage that is very well known. And for me, it is almost like, I'm not saying it's an allegory or a, or a parable, but it almost sheds light on the human experience and it sheds light on a whole pile of the Old Testament. Let's read together um, Genesis chapter 11, 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastwards, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city. They didn't have to go through council regulations back then. They just did it. It wasn't like Adelaide City Council. They were just proactive. And tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches for the heavens. When my kids build a city out of Lego, um, I tell you, the tower's always got to be tall. And this city was going to have a fantastic tower that reaches to the heavens. And the heavens are symbolic of that realm where God is. Otherwise, we'll be scattered all over the face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city. And the tower, the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking in one language, they have done this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Isn't that good news? Church this morning, nothing's impossible, amen? Nothing's impossible for you. That's what God says. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered. Can everyone say scattered, please? The Lord scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And this is why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Now for me, this story is very interesting for a number of reasons because here you have a picture of a people being united And then are people being scattered? And I think if you were to argue in our world today, people are more scattered than united. And so the first posture of this text is the posture of us. It's saying, look at what we can do together. And I think in your life, you might get to the start of a new year and you might sit down with your family and you might say, look at what we can do together. We can pay off some of our mortgage. We can go on a holiday. We can do this. We can do that. And I call this the posture of scheming. This is what we're going to do. It's like my wife, when she just she gets a notepad and paper and she starts scribbling, I think, oh no, she's scheming again. She's talking about our, our, our future family home. Whoever knows where that's going to be. And she's like, this is what I want. And, and she gets into scheming mode. 
And as a church here, imagine if we all got together and we schemed and we said, what could we do if we all put our heads together? We could do anything. And do you know what? If you all got in a room and collected your money and collected your ideas and unified your vision, you could do anything. You could build an amazing building. You could build a community of faith. You could run programs during the week that would be phenomenal. And you could scheme and you could be proactive. And God actually says that when we scheme as human beings, when we get together and we say, we're going to be great, we can actually become great. But that definition of greatness is radically different to the definition of greatness that Jesus sets out in the Gospels. He said, if you want to know what greatness is all about, you need to learn to serve and to give and to love. And God actually, and so God scatters and confuses their language. Do you know, the problem is with human beings, when we scheme and when we make things happen in our own strength, sometimes we get what we want, but what we want is not good. We can build a great civilization. We can build a great city. I was just reflecting on, um, have you ever been united with your friends in negativity about something? And you realise, man, I just caught up with my friends or my family and we were really negative about that situation or negative about that person. And we were united and we were convinced of what we're about, but it didn't produce good fruit. I was thinking about, the, I often think about the, the doctors in Nazi Germany. How did these men, generally men, that had given their lives to helping people, how did they conspire in these eugenics programs? It's because they were convinced of the goodness of their cause and they put their minds together and they conspired to be great. But what they actually perpetrated was evil. And that's what God's saying in Babel. He's saying, you can build a great city, but it's not going to be for your flourishing. It's not going to be a city that resembles the city of God, a city of peace and flourishing and prosperity. And I think for you as an individual, but us as a church, I wonder if we're in a scheming, problem-solving phase. We want to unite for a purpose, but it's actually divorced from hearing what God's purpose is. And so the next posture after scheming is scattering. Scattering. And so scheming has to do with faith in us, what we can do together. But scattering is about, I can't trust these people anymore because they're different to me. They speak a different language. So what happens when we get scattered and we speak different language and we start looking different and we have different interests? We say, I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm not sure about these migrant groups. I'm not sure about these people from other walks of life. And we stay just us and our family. This is when we identify with those that look like us and and we keep things tight to our chest. We judge people that are different to us. And we, rather than trusting what we can do, we distrust other people. And when we talk about our family, we talk about our family like they're not there. It's like, oh, the problem with my family is, or the problem with my work is, or the problem with my church is, and we don't realise that we are part of our work and we are part of our church and we are part of our family. And we lose the sense that God has put us on this planet to do life and do ministry and mission together. We start to lose the ability to show grace to others and walk together in community. When you're independent or when you're scattered, and that's what the story said, God scattered them, there's no need to lead, but there's also no need to submit 
you're your own master and your own servant. And I think that's our culture today. I actually, it's really interesting. In the 1980s and 1990s, there was this great leadership, all the great leadership texts like, um, um, you know, what's, what's the, um, just slipped my mind. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and all these kind of motivational and self-leadership and corporate books were coming out. But what they're finding with um, like the, the millennial and the post-millennial generation is young people more and more do not want leadership. They're actually happy not being number one because they see the burden of leadership and they're like, no, I don't want that. But definitely, um, culturally, people they don't, might not want leadership but they also don't want to submit. They just want to be right in that in-between. So I think they're two postures of faith. Scheming is faith in what we can do. Scattering is faith in me. I can only trust myself. I'm going to give a different picture of what it looks like to live out community than the Tower of Babel, and that's from the book of Acts, chapter 2. Let's read this together. This is after the Holy Spirit has been poured out and they're speaking in unknown languages. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. That means everyone here, God has not withheld his spirit from you. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. They will speak God's word. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord. The coming and great Sorry, great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think it's really interesting that we've looked at the story of the Tower of Babel. The people were scheming to build and create a city in their own image, to be great, to have a reputation, to reach up to the heavens. And then they were scattered. The next posture I want to talk about is the posture of seeking, seeking. And I I, I believe as a church that God would encourage us corporately, but also you individually to seek Him, not just His results, but to seek His face at this time. The disciples, they knew because Jesus had told them, but they also knew because of their own weakness that they could not go out without the physical manifestation of Jesus amongst them unless something changed. They knew that something had to change. And so they prayed and they waited and they waited and they waited and they were seeking the next thing of God because they knew they dare not go without God changing something in them so that He could be powerful through them. They dare not go without that. And I think this is a really godly posture. It's not about saying, I'm going to go and build it, what I think, but it's about saying, God, I want to seek You and know Your heart and Your face and I want to know Your power. 
It's acknowledging that I don't want to go on in my family and I don't want to go on in 2018 without some level of change or intervention that is birthed by you, God. This is a new form of unity. It requires humility and deep understanding of the impossibility of moving on without the power and presence of God. You see, this passage in Acts chapter 2, it was a... It was a fulfilment of the prophecy of Joel. And Joel's prophecy had an eschatological feel to it. And by that it means that the prophecy was of the end of times. It was seen to be when God finally in all of His fullness breaks into humanity in a way and sets all things right, sets all governments and sets all unrighteousness right and the people of God would be restored from slavery. There was this sense that this is the the final stage where God comes to be with His people and everything changes forever. It It was seen as being when this... Prophecy is fulfilled. It is the the end of days. It it would be the end of days. And there was a sense that when the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, everyone was looking around and they they were saying, we are never going to be the same again. You know, the other day I went down a YouTube rabbit hole, which was not great, but I started watching the footage of when September 11 happened. And I I just thought, I, I was watching the West Wing when September 11 happened and it flicked across and I was really confused. I'm like, is this the West Wing or is this the news or what is it? It was a deeply formative moment of my life. I remember it vividly, but I I, I got onto YouTube and I started watching the NBC and the ABC and all the different live footage and just these people coming to terms. In fact, when the, the Twin Towers were first on fire, there was no talk of terrorism. People didn't even know about, well, they knew about terrorism, but it was almost like, oh, wow, there's been a serious accident. What's happening? And, 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 and from that moment on, people's filter, people's paradigm, people's way that they disseminate news, the way that they see uh, people from different... Co- everything in the Western world was shaken from that moment. The news media has never been the same again. Um, you know, uh, two wars sprung out from that event. It's like... And, and so at that moment, it was the first time in my life when I went to bed and I thought, I wonder if I'm going to get conscripted. When I say that, people are like, man, you're, you're a bit dramatic. But in all my life, I've had so much freedom and I've never had to, to go to war. And I thought, and I went to bed and I thought, what if September 11, there's a September 12 and there's a September 13? And what if there's attacks in, I was living in Sydney, in Sydney at the time, I was working in the American Express building, which I thought, American Express building, that's going to be a target. And I started thinking about what am I going to do if the government says we're going to war? And what if there's, you know, like, and I'm thinking about this. And and what I'm saying is that there's a sense of everything changes because of a cataclysmic event. Well, when the Spirit of God was poured out, the Apostle Peter stood up and he's saying, this is the end of days. This is the time when God is not withholding His Spirit. And he's saying this is for everyone, not just priests and prophets and kings. This is for everyone. 
This is the age of grace. This is the moment where the Spirit of God is going to open lips to speak the Word of God and you don't have to wait for an anoint, a separate anointing, that you are anointed by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of prophecy is going to be upon men and women, boys and girls, that as the children are out in children's church, we believe right now that the Spirit of God can be upon children to speak the Word of God and to receive the Word of God. Amen. And so this is what happened. This is what happened. And it came out of a season of seeking. Now I believe as a church here that when it said 2,000 years ago the Spirit of God has been poured out and will be poured out, that God hasn't made an exception for this church. He's not withholding the Spirit from certain people and, and that Yes, there's going to be people with gifted communication gifts, but God is going to put a word in your heart. He's going to put a fire in your belly and He's going to open your lips to speak words of hope to people in your community. That is what it means to be a church on mission. It's, it's collective mission, but it's also individuals on fire for God with the Spirit's empowering. And when we come together, our little fires connect to make a raging furnace. Wouldn't it be great that as, as a church, as, as God through the Holy Spirit burns a fire in our heart as we come together, as guests come into this church, they say, wow, I, I didn't just hear about God, but I experienced the power of God in the midst of God's people worshipping with passion and authenticity. Um, and the final posture I want to talk about is after seeking is sending. Seeking is faith in God's promise. Why did the disciples wait for the Holy Spirit to come? They waited because Jesus had promised the gift of the Father. The posture of sending is one where we have received the Holy Spirit and we are sent out. And we have faith in God's empowering presence that wherever we go, God's empowering presence will illuminate our minds and He will anoint our works for the benefit of the kingdom. The people of God, unlike the Tower of Babel where God scatters people, what happens at Pentecost? All these people from different nations and different walks of life and different personalities and, and different cultural backgrounds, they come together and they can each understand the gospel in their native tongue. That is a miracle. And what it tells me is where, where the Spirit of God is, He brings diverse people together so that you can understand, so that you can hear, so that you can reach out to people different to you. And I believe that this church, God is sending this church out to be a missionary church to your neighbourhoods, to people that are not just like you, but people that are different to you. And just like at Pentecost, people will be able to understand in their own language that this church will be able to communicate with young people, that this church will be able to communicate with seniors because God has sent you out. You know, I believe that the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But I also believe when you've received the Holy Spirit into your life, and you can't be a Christian without receiving the Holy Spirit into your life. When you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have received the character and the personality of God himself within you. And if you want to know what the Holy Spirit is like, he's just like Jesus. And he's wonderful. 
and He's not just someone, you know, we believe in Jesus, we believe in the Father, but, I, but in the New Testament, there's not a lot of language about belief in the Holy Spirit. It, rather, the Holy Spirit is someone we receive and someone we experience and someone we walk with. He's not a theory. You know, I just want to say that there's a lot of people in this room and God doesn't want you to scheme about how your family can change and how your life can change and, and we can come up with a lot of ideas. But before you scheme, I believe that God is calling you to seek His face and then believe that He is going to send you out in a diversity of ways, but in a way that when you come together, it's like a rich tapestry and it's like, God, I'm so thankful that this church's growth and this church's future is not contingent upon evangelistic programs, but upon men and women on fire with the Holy Spirit and the love of God and being the people of God in their neighbourhoods. You know, my mum and dad were essentially the chaplains in their neighbourhood. They've never gone to Bible college. They've never led a church. My mum used to lead a Sunday school. We had a church of 30 people and a Sunday school of 100 at one point. She was my mum, old school style, knocked on doors and just she just went for it. And she just was an amazing Sunday school leader. My dad just loved young people. But in our neighbourhood, they would make meals for people. They would pray for people. They would give people gifts. Mum would always write Christmas cards with dorky Christian message. I'm like, Mum, don't write that. They're not Christians. She said, no, no, just sowing the seed, just sowing the seed. And she'd write little scriptures. And, and, um, and, and in fact, our whole street, our whole cul-de-sac came to respect my parents. I remember the man next door when he, he wrecked his marriage and he, he um, cheated on his wife and just really let the whole family down. And he, he came to my parents and he fell on his knees and he begged my parents to forgive him. Almost like my parents were like priests. He was an atheist. And he said, can you forgive me? And then he said, will God forgive me? And it's like, I was just reflecting on this recently. It's like my parents had become priests in his life. They were the closest thing that he had ever experienced to a priest who he could confess his sins. And he wanted my parents to kind of bless him and say, you're not, you know, there's no shame. We love you. You're forgiven. And it's like that is the platform that God can give each of us in our neighbourhoods, in our families, if we just realise that God has sent us out with His Holy Spirit to be His representatives. In fact, all those people in my street never came to our church, but they experienced the Kingdom of God through my parents. My dad owned a video shop, one of the last video stores in Sydney. (laughs) And the reason why it was the last is because people would travel from all around. Um, my dad, I was talking to him the other day, he reckons he, over his years of working there, he said, Tim, I have been used by God to talk to dozens of young men that are about to end their lives. Just through being a friendly face and just being someone that I was safe to talk to, he said, I've got their numbers. His, I mean, it's completely, you know, it's like as a pastor, all the things I said, mate, I can't do that. I can't kind of, but he said, oh, I just get their personal numbers. I call them after hours and they come around to my house. They have dinner with us and, and he becomes like a connection point with these needy young men that are going through crisis. And you know what? They weren't going to walk into a church. They weren't going to ring a counselling service. They went and got a DVD and my dad saw what was in their eyes and was able to just to talk to them. 
You know, God is sending you out. As a church, um, we're, my wife and I, yeah, we are planting a new church and we're formally launching in three weeks' time. And, you know, just because of our family circumstances, our financial circumstances, there's always reasons to say no to God. But, do you know, this is the thing. You know, at the start of the message when I said, when you come to Christ, everything changes? Well, I don't think everything changes, but God can use everything for His purposes. And even in my life, when there's things about my spiritual life, there's things about our finances, there's things about my relationship with my wife. It's like, oh God, I'm not planning in church until I've got a really great 100% marriage and our communication's awesome. It's like, well, is that ever going to happen? You know, like, she puts up with a lot. But, but God uses me and He takes me and He says, my son, even though you're broken, if you're available, I'm going to send you out. And I'm going to take what you have to give and I'm going to use you. And that's what I see God doing. I see God taking people, you know, like people that are going through crises in their family, people that are going through health issues. And God says, I'm not just going to change everything, but I'm going to work in your situation. I'm going to transform your perspective of everything through the filter of the gospel. Yeah, I've got a lot more to go and it's just not happening. This is the last scripture that I want to share. It's one of my favourite scriptures. It's Hebrews 9, verse 14. This is why, this is how faith is transformed. It's the filter and lens through which we view everything. It's comparing the old sacrificial system in the Old Testament to the new covenant under Christ. How much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, the Father, purify our conscience from dead works to worship the living God. This is what I want to just finish with. As a church, God is not sending you out to get busy in ministry and mission and just to flog yourselves and just to get busy. That's not what he's sending you out to do. He's not sending you out to scatter and to be independent. He is calling you to seek his face and to be sent out. But do you know what we don't do? We don't just do works and say, oh, I'm not being holy enough and I'm not perfect. And then it's like this stairway to heaven that we never get to the top of. In fact, there's this conspiracy between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Each three persons of the Godhead are here. So how much more with the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit? So what that says is that the cross of Jesus was actually um, enabled through the Spirit and Christ was then offered without blemish to God the Father. So there's this conspiracy between Father, Son and Holy Spirit to do everything in your place on your behalf to set you free and to purify not just your sins, but to purify your conscience. Do you know what that means? That you can walk ahead, not just knowing that you're forgiven, but being free in your mind, free in your conscience to what? To serve and worship the living God. God doesn't want this church to be a church of dead works, but a church of free works. Where we say, God, I am free to serve you. I am free to obey you. And that's the, and that's the amazing thing. That when you have a week from hell, you can get back up again because you know that you're already forgiven and that your conscience has been cleansed and that God still wants to set you free to worship and serve the living God. And this church, 
Oh, the days of this church are going to be glorious. And there are wonderful, good works which God has already prepared for you to walk in. Ephesians 2.10. You don't have to find the good works. They're already there. You don't have to find the people. They're already there. Find the people, find the works that God has placed in front of you and allow the Holy Spirit to burn a fire in your heart and open your lips to proclaim His name, His goodness and His grace. And you can't tell me what God is going to do in this church. It's going to be amazing. So on this day, when we're celebrating the nations coming together, I believe that God has brought us together. And as we leave... He is sending us out to be His people. But know that you're not alone. His Spirit is with you and you are connected with one another. And as you come back next week, may we have stories to tell of what the missionary God has done through His Spirit in our lives. Will you stand to your feet? Join with me as we pray. Father, I just thank You for this wonderful church. I just want to pray for anyone here that's seeking a next step with you. They want to come closer to you. They want to say yes to you. Lord, as as this season of transition, um, leadership transition in this local church, I pray that there's a culture in the Hills Christian Family Centre of men and women, young and old, rising to take their place. Rising, not being defined by what they're not, but being confident in who they are in Christ and who you say they are and giving them confidence that you are going to take their little and multiply. You are going to take their gifts and their talents and use it for extending and benefiting your kingdom. Just as we've got our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask, Just quite a general prayer, but if you're here this morning and you want to just make a statement before God and before this congregation and say, God, I want to take my position where I am right now. And I just don't want to go into planning mode. I don't want to just get independent. I don't. But I, but I want to know your heart, God. I want to know your face. I want to seek you. And I want you to use me, to send me out, to make a difference in this church and through this church and in my neighbourhood, in my community, in my school, in my work, in my everyday life. God, and I just, I want to be useful for your kingdom. I want to be able to be used by you, even though there's so many areas of my life that are not together. I want to give what I have to give. If that's you, I just want you to put your hand up. I'm going to pray for you right now where you, where you stand. Just put your hand up. Thank you. Anyone else? You're just saying, here am I, God. Use me. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? I'm just going to pray a prayer over anyone. Thank you. It's about five people with their hands up. Anyone else? Just saying, here am I, God. You don't just have my talents. Have my heart. I want to have faith, but help me with my lack of faith. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just pray for these folks with their hands up. I just thank you, Lord, that you are a God that delights in your children saying, I need you. And Lord, I just thank you that as we say collectively, we need you.
Lord, You're going to burn a fire in our hearts. You are going to open our lips to speak of Your mighty deeds. I'm just reminded of the early apostles who said, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Lord, may we be able to share of Your mercy, share of Your grace. May You position us. Lord, I'm just thinking for some of us, there's people in our lives that are going through health crises. They're going, they've, they've lost loved ones in recent times and we don't even know the words to say, but God, You are going to position us to be huggers to be handshakers. You're going to position us to be generous. You're going to position us where we can open our mouth and we can say, I don't have anything to say, but can I pray for you? Lord, I just thank You that these people in this church are not called just to gather, but you're, and they're not called to scatter, but they're called to be sent out as Your missionaries. And Lord, this week, as we all put our head on our pillow of a night, may we know that we're not alone. As we go to work, may we know we're not alone. When we're in the midst of conflict in relationships, may we know that You are there with us, leading us in the midst of that, that Your empowering presence is not just around us, but it is He is in us and with us every step of the way. We thank You, Lord. Lord, we just pray. I pray for the church here. Lord, Your Word says, if any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God for it and He will give it to you. Lord, we pray for wisdom. Lord, I pray for courage. Lord, I pray for the peace of God that surpasses understanding. Lord, I pray that we will not just believe for the impossible for selfish reasons, but we'll believe for the impossible for kingdom reasons. And Lord, that we will see You come through in ways that will just bring You glory. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Just is there anyone here, just before I close, if you're here and you just don't know your, your life's not right with God and you need to come home to God. You know that God is real. You know that Jesus lived and died and rose again in your place on your behalf. And, you know, you, before you can start applying and changing and getting active in faith, there's, there's, there's the problem at the centre of your life, your heart and your consciousness and the focus of your life. And, and God this morning wants to change the orientation of your heart away from self and towards Him to say, I need You, Father. I need the forgiveness that You can give that has been won through Jesus Christ. I need You to give me Your Holy Spirit. If that's You, just right now say, Father, I need You. Jesus, thank You for dying for me and rising again, defeating sin and death and evil once and for all. I receive Your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. I want to follow You for all my days. I love You and I thank You for Your grace. And I thank You for Your mercy. And I want to walk in Your freedom from this day forth. Help me to make wise choices and help me to find someone that I can talk to about my faith to make the next step. In Jesus' Name. Amen. Amen.